Hey everyone, welcome to the Riverview Church Podcast. We hope that you're encouraged and inspired by today's message. We'd love for you to join us more frequently. So before we get started, why don't you take a moment to subscribe to our podcast? Here's today's message from Tanya Watson. Well, last week, Tim kicked off our series in June that we're calling Live Out Love. And uh, through Tim's message, I really appreciated the reminder of how good and how solid God's love is for us. Today, we're going to think about God's love and how God intends for His love to flow through our lives. So if you haven't heard of him before, I'd like to introduce you to St. Ignatius. Ignatius was a priest who lived 500 years ago. And there was a time where lots of people couldn't read and they didn't even have access to a Bible. So Ignatius wanted to help people not just hear the word, but actually be able to apply it to their lives using their imaginations. Now today, most of us can read and we have access to unlimited Bibles. I've got 50 versions on my phone, I think. Um, But the trouble is that I think we have the opposite problem, is that because the Bible is so accessible for us, we can take it for granted. James has something to say to us about taking the Bible for granted. In chapter one, he says, obey God's message. Don't fool yourselves by just listening to it. If you hear the message and you don't obey it, you are like people who stare at themselves in a mirror and forget what they look like as soon as they leave. But you must never stop looking at the perfect law or the word that sets you free. God will bless you in everything you do if you listen and obey and don't just hear and forget. So entering into a Bible narrative with imagination can really help us not just to read, but to engage with the words on the page. They don't just float through our brains as they sometimes do. We believe that the Bible is God's Word. It communicates life and truth to us. And God says that He inhabits His Word and He's the one who applies the Word to our hearts. Using our imaginations in the Bible can really help us to keep front of mind that a good deal of the Bible is a record of the real lives of real people and the real living God. Particularly in the Gospels, we can see how people experience and respond to Jesus. And that can help us think about how we experience and how we respond to Jesus too. So let's gather our attention, engage our imaginations and enter into a meeting with Jesus. And I want to encourage you this morning to be ready for Jesus to give us something really fresh that will be good for us. So I'd like to invite you to join Jesus and me and my friends here at the beach. (laughs) You might like to picture your favourite beach. Mine is a stretch of beach between uh, Busselton and Dunsborough. It's where we camp every January. And I imagine it's 5am on a hot January morning. The tide is way out. The dawn sky is like a pale blue going through to a pale pink. The ocean is flat and quiet and there's a few dinghies out there, fishing dinghies bobbing about. Into the beach scene that you might be imagining, we welcome in the Gospel of John, chapter 21. You might even like to imagine John. John is a man who called himself the beloved disciple of Jesus. He did that because he just loved Jesus so much and he knew how much Jesus really loved him. And when we read his gospel, we really feel that love. We experience the warmth and the security of John's relationship with Jesus and we get to share in that. 
In chapter 21, John is going to tell us about a conversation that Jesus had with another of his friends, a man named Peter. But before we get to Peter, we need to catch up on a bit of a backstory. The followers of Jesus had been through an incredibly traumatic and dramatic few days. They'd witnessed the brutal death on the cross of Jesus. So for a moment, we stop to think about the kind of grief that the followers of Jesus had witnessed. They'd seen cruelty and brutality and the death of the person in whom they'd placed all of their hopes and dreams, their best friend. And they'd given up everything to follow him. They'd given up their jobs, their family, their future plans, because they were convinced that Jesus was sent from God to make the world right and good. And then three days after the Jesus' death, their grief turned on an instant into absolute joy and wonder. Jesus raised from the dead. Oh my goodness, the realisation that Jesus was exactly who he always said he was. There's no doubt about it, he is the Son of God. Such a roller coaster of emotions that they had been through, including this one, that the risen Jesus didn't do what anyone expected him to do. Without any warning, he appeared to the disciples twice and then he vanished. So the disciples must have been disoriented. Jesus was back from the dead and yet he wasn't just picking up where he left off. I imagine they were confused, maybe disoriented. How do we follow Jesus when he doesn't stay with us? So what are we supposed to do now? Peter says, I'm going fishing. And the others say, well, we're coming with you. So they go fishing, they're out there all night and they catch nothing. Dawn breaks, they look towards the beach and they see someone standing on the beach who yells at them, have you caught anything? I imagine Peter would feel quite sarcastic at that point in time. Of course we haven't caught anything, that's why we're still out here. But Jesus says, throw the net over the other side. So they throw it over the other side. They realise there's actually Jesus on the beach now and they catch 153 fish, which must have been remarkable to remember what number it was. And they realise that Jesus is cooking breakfast and Peter gets so excited. The adrenaline's up again. He's running out the boat trying to get dressed at the same time. He just can't wait to get to see Jesus. You think that that would be the highest point of the story from John here, but it's not. What John is doing is he wants to direct us towards what's coming next and that's a crucial, awkward conversation. And it's this crucial, awkward conversation that's going to help us to think about the flow of God's love into our hearts and through our lives. I imagine this conversation probably takes place after breakfast. Perhaps Peter and Jesus get up and they start wandering down the beach with John trotting on behind because John is always close to wherever Jesus is. And this is speculation, but as far as we know, in the two times that Jesus had already appeared to his followers, Jesus and Peter don't appear to have spoken about the fact that Peter had given in to the temptation to save his own skin rather than stand up for Jesus. So as they walk along the beach, I imagine Peter might be feeling anxious. Jesus had warned Peter that he was likely to betray him when things got tough, and that's exactly what happened. Three times Peter was asked, do you know Jesus? And three times, Peter denied being Jesus' friend and follower. Let's just step back for a minute. As we think about Peter, we might recognise in ourselves times 
when we've avoided owning up to the fact that we are followers of Jesus. Maybe we've even denied knowing Jesus. Maybe we've given in to the temptation to say and do things that we know are inconsistent with the behaviours and actions of someone who says they love Jesus. So here we are with Jesus and Peter and John on the beach. It's time for honesty. It's time to face Jesus. But because we're facing Jesus, we know that there will be no condemnation here. There's no reason to fear because Jesus offers Peter and he offers us the opportunity for forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration and renewal. Jesus asks Peter the same question three times. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? There's absolutely no doubt that Peter loved Jesus. So how are we to understand what Jesus is doing here? Well, standing face to face with Jesus as we are, there's an invitation, I think, here to put our names into those questions. Tanya, do you love me? The first time I think about that question, it kind of hits me here. And my instinctive response is, Jesus, you know I love you. Of course I love you. Tanya, do you love me? This time the question kind of drops to about here, starting to feel a bit uncomfortable. And I want to say to Jesus, Jesus, you know I love you. I love you as much as I can love you. And then the third time, Tanya, do you love me? On the third time, John tells us that Peter was really hurt because Jesus asked him the question three times. But the question reveals the deeper truth. And on the third time, I hear it right in my heart. And my response to the third time is this, Jesus, you know that I love you, but you know that my heart is often tempted away from you because my heart is a mixed bag of selfish desires and selfish intentions and I struggle to manage that. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 7. It's a really famous part of the scripture where Paul describes it like this. He says, the things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I do want to do, I don't do. And that was Peter's experience, I think. We know that Peter didn't set out to betray Jesus. He was resolute in his desire to stick with Jesus no matter what. And yet he did the very thing he didn't want to do. And this is why walking alongside Peter on the beach is so helpful. John records his story not to shame Peter, but to remind all of us who are followers of Jesus that we're all at the risk of overestimating the default self-interested desires in our hearts. Self-interested desires are like rampant weeds in the heart and they can overtake even the best of us. And Peter was a good man and we're good people. John wants us to recognise this and to pay attention, to learn just as Peter did, that God really is greater than our hearts. The Bible tells us that God poured out his love into our hearts and his intention that is that his love flows in us and through us to others. But when the heart gets clogged up with self-interest, the flow of God's love becomes blocked and choked off. And as he did for Peter, Jesus comes alongside 
inside us and helps us to clear away the blockages. So an important question we ask is this, what triggers self-interest? And the answer is temptation. Temptation is a self-generated desire that gets the better of our hearts. It's really important to remember that God doesn't tempt us. What he does is he gives us the power to resist temptation and to grow from it. The Bible speaks about this as testing. Testing is where we recognise that we are faced with temptation and we have the choice to not give in and to resist. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this, You are tempted in the same way that everyone else is tempted, but God can be trusted not to let you be tempted too much. And he will show you how to escape from your temptations. If we think about God's love running through our lives like a river, then an important observation we can make is that temptation is like a powerful force that has the potential to change the proper flow of God's love through our hearts. Temptation is like dam building in the heart. I found a blog written by a missionary named Christy Walker and she did a topical study of Peter's life and she identified that there were seven loves that diverted Peter's heart away from Jesus. Now, I'm not going to review those seven loves, but I am going to pick out on one and I think it's probably the most important one for us at the moment. And that is the love of security. In Matthew 4, we read the story where Jesus initially calls Peter. Jesus calls Peter to follow him and immediately Peter gets up and he leaves his job, his family, his community, all of his security and follow Jesus. And yet here we are three years later on the beach. Peter doesn't know where Jesus is and so he chooses to default back to what used to give him security. He says, I'm going fishing. And get this, he takes everyone with him. His influence takes everyone else with him. Instead of carrying on the work of loving people in the way of Jesus, doing the things that Jesus had been teaching him to do for three years, Peter chooses to find security in the thing he used to do. I'm going fishing. Love of security might show up in our, our hearts as a need for certainty. Earlier this year, we've been challenged by Paul Scanlon and Mark Connor as they've preached and shared with us in relation to certainty. Our hearts are made to search for certainty. The issue is that we give in to the temptation to define certainty for ourselves and on our terms. God defines certainty as this, trust in me. When we define certainty, we define it as, I'm going to trust in myself. But when we do that, we deceive ourselves that we can control our world, which we can't. Or we do another thing is that we give in to distraction and then it stops us from feeling what's really going on around us. The love of security might also be reflected in the choices that we make in relation to our possessions, our time, our money, our abilities, there's always going to be a good reason to protect ourselves through our things. Again, this is a trust issue. It's hard for us to trust Jesus in all things, especially when we feel that Jesus is absent or he's silent or we don't really understand what he's doing in our lives. I understand the captivity to the love of security and how hard it is to really surrender everything to Jesus to really trust him in everything that comes my way. So I'm not going to throw a bunch of Bible verses at you today because I know that doesn't help. But from my heart, can I simply encourage you 
If you are finding it difficult to really trust Jesus in your present circumstances, can I just remind you of these simple facts? (laughs) That Jesus is always near and close and personal and he never, ever leaves us alone. And so I'm praying for me and I'm praying for you that you will remind your heart and your mind of those things as much as you need to. And I'm also praying that Jesus will show up for you and prove to you that he can and will um, be trustworthy for you and to you. You can trust him with your life. Let's go back to temptation. How do we escape temptation and unblock the dams that hold up the flow of God's love through our lives? Well, we go back to the beach and those three questions and we see how Jesus helps Peter to reorient his heart. He asks three times, do you love me? And each time he answers that question with a response, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep. It's actually quite straightforward. The way to overcome temptation is to serve others. Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. It's obvious that when Jesus is talking about sheep, he's talking about people and lambs. He's talking about people. But have you ever read this story about Peter and asked the question, what was Peter supposed to feed the sheep with? (laughs) I think the answer is found in Jesus' question, do you love me? We're meant to feed others with the food that Jesus gives to us. It's his love. His love is a love that never runs out, never wears out, never gives up. It's a love that protects, it perseveres, it endures. It's a love that is faithful and certain. It's a love that covers a multitude of failures. It's a love that builds up and binds up the brokenhearted. And it's a love that sets people free. So feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. I really hope you don't mind this morning if I bring this message to a conclusion by sharing with you how God has particularly challenged me through this story. For a few years now, I've been using a phrase, um, it goes like this, the small gods of comfort and security. (laughs) It's a great phrase and I picked it up from a journal article written by a man named Rusty Reno. And I found it a really helpful way of um, owning up to the fact that there are loves in my heart that get in the way of my life with Jesus. But I've realised that that little saying, small gods of comfort and security, has become a cute, off-handed way of talking about the selfish inclinations of my heart. That by reducing these things to a cute saying, I've come to treat my selfish desires as tame things, like domesticated pets that I keep around for fun to bring comfort to me and make me feel good. They're little pet indulgences that make me feel good and make me feel happy. But thinking about Peter's example, Imagining being on the beach with him has helped me to realise that these small gods of comfort and security are are no joke. They're not cute things. In actual fact, these small loves have actually tamed and domesticated me. If I try to give them up, and I have been trying to give them up in recent days, they suddenly rear up and show me who's really the boss. They have a hold over my heart And they keep me from living out the love of Christ with all of his dynamic power 
and energy, so they must be attended to. The call to live out love is a call to deal with little self-centred loves in our heart. The call to live out love is a call to stop messing around fishing for distraction. The call to live out love is a call to get involved with the pain of the world in Jesus' power and in Jesus' name. In asking Jesus to help me to run away from self-centred temptations, Jesus has also reminded me of my commitment, a commitment I made a long time ago to live out a verse that I really want to live by. It's a great one, so I want to share it with you because it strengthens me. And I'm praying today that it will strengthen you also. It's a paraphrase of Daniel 11:32b, and it goes like this, and I want to etch it on my heart again today. The people who know their God will be strong of heart and they will take action. The people who know their God will be strong of heart and they will take action to live out love. So let's finish with a prayer of action. This prayer comes from St. Francis. It's really famous. But St. Francis is a man who models for us how to pray for the capacity to live out love every day through self-giving action. Let's pray this together. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. And where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, may I bring hope. Where there is darkness, may we bring light. And where there is sadness, may we bring joy. O Divine Master, grant that we may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it's in dying to self that we are born to eternal life. Thanks again for joining us today. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at podcast at riverviewchurch.com. If you want any information about Riverview Church, you can find that at riverviewchurch.com.